0: Last week, we started a series called Fighting Fair. (laughs) It's kind of an oxymoron, like I said last week, because uh, it doesn't ever really seem... uh, Fights just don't seem fair, do they? Because um, when we start thinking about our relationships and and how we have relationships with people, whether in a marriage or in a a parenting uh, relationship... Uh, or or with a coworker, with your boss, or with your neighbor, there's going to be opposition in life. You're going to find yourself in conflict, and and so the Lord just began to lay on my heart to, that we needed to talk about what does from from a Christian's from a biblical Christian's perspective, what does fighting fair look like? So today uh, I want to talk about stop having the conversation you're not having. And I'm sure that everyone here, you've never done this. You've never been upset with somebody and then, you know, you walk out of the room or you get in a car and you drive away and you have a conversation with the person and they're not in the car. Is that, that, I'm the only one that's ever done that, right? Like, you're fired up, right? And you're like, you're letting them have it. I mean, like, one of the things that I've found is that sometimes when I'm driving down the road or I'm, I'm upset and I'm just, I'm telling that person everything that I've ever thought under the sun and they're not even there to hear it, right? And, 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 and in the end, what a waste of time. It, it really is. Um, not long ago, I was driving um, to actually uh, enter into a place of prayer and i'm frustrated driving down the road and god kept just saying stop having the conversation you're not having so i'd like you're right lord you're right lord you're right Whew. okay focus on you you didn't do what i wanted you to do and then all there you know and so every time i I'm like the lord would be like stop having the conversation you're you're, you're literally having a conversation with yourself the person that you think you're talking to is not here, hello, stop having, and so I, I would circle back around, and I'm like, okay, stop, all right, and then I'd try to focus, and then I would, I would lose out on the focus, and then, and I couldn't, I just couldn't, uh, it took me probably over an hour and a half to stop having a conversation with someone who wasn't even in the car, right? Anybody with me out there, anybody, is this, is this for anyone, Okay, there's a a handful of you out there. So today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 10. Now, here's something I want to say about Matthew 10 before we dive into the scripture. This is a a passage where Jesus is sending his disciples out to share the word of God. So when when we see this, I want us to remember what the context of this passage is. This passage is not about opposition and argument, but there are some things in this passage that are just principles for life that we can apply to our very lives. So in, in chapter 10, um, and let me ask you this, um, as, as I was thinking about this, because I don't want to um, leave uh, too quick. Um, how many of you, when you had that conversation with yourself that you pretended that you were having with someone else, how long did it really take you um, to create an entire false scenario. I mean, like you lived out an entire scenario of that conversation, what they were going to say and how you were going to answer that, right? I mean, how long before you had a complete thing that never even happened happen, right, in your mind, right? In like 10 minutes, you've created an entire false scenario. It didn't take 10 minutes for me, and I'm already bantering back and forth of what I think the person's gonna say and how I'm gonna refute that in the name of Jesus of course right I mean because that's what we do is we have these these scenarios and here's what I found out is every time I've had a conversation with somebody that I wasn't having a conversation with it never worked And every time I found myself actually having a conversation with the person in person, when I had a conversation with them when they weren't there, and then when I went to them, guess what? It never went very well. Has anybody testified that if you've had a conversation with them not in the room, and then you went ahead and had the conversation, it didn't go well? I wonder why. And and I'm going to tell you why, in just case you were wondering, because I was, you know, just, I just don't want to leave anybody hanging on this. But here's what happens is that you had this entire scenario, false scenario, played out in your mind, in your mind. You following me? Okay, when you had the false scenario that you created in your mind, then you went to talk to the person, you weren't listening to them. Ah, come on now, that's good stuff. All right, You weren't really listening. What you were waiting for is the trigger word that they were going to say that was going to trigger you off so that you could go ahead and play out your scenario. The false scenario. Come on. I should get an amen after that. That was a good... That, that I mean, that happens. That's real life. I mean, here's the reality is, is this is real life. This is what happens in our lives is that we come to these places and we're creating a false scenario and then we... In, Incorporate that person into our crazy cycle, and then we wait for them to say the wrong word, and then we're like a leopard jumping out of the darkness, ready to go. And then that person's like, "Whoa, what are you doing?" I don't know. I mean, you know, it's like I was waiting for that moment. I just wanted, you know. And so here's the thing: is guys, we have to stop having the conversation we're not having. Amen. You guys ready to work on this? All right. All right. Here we go. So in John chapter 10, verse 5, Jesus says this. These are the 12 disciples, uh, the 12 Jesus sent out and he commanded them saying this. Do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you have received. Freely given. You know, so here's, I love this. So, not that this was not part of my notes. I don't even have any notes here, but this is for free. Um, so, when I started thinking about freely you have received, freely give, when we're talking about opposition in our relationships and when we have conflict and confrontation, are we giving understanding and forgiveness and mercy and grace in the same amount we have received. I can can tell you, as much as I would love to say that I'm very merciful and gracious in, in my conflict conversations, I can guarantee you that I am not giving as much grace and mercy as I have received. When we think about the conflict relationships, that right there is a pretty big deal, isn't it? Freely you have received grace, mercy, and love, and compassion, sympathy. Are we giving those? Because I can guarantee you this if you're having the conversation in your head, you're not giving grace, mercy, and love. Come on, right? All right, okay. So let's keep going. All right, verse 9. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts, no bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment for that town. Now, here we go. You guys ready? Raise your hand if you're ready. Okay, here we go. So, Very next verse, 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Here's the reality I want you to understand is it is impossible for you to avoid opposition. It's impossible for you to avoid conflict. I hate conflict. Like with anyone. Like I try to avoid it at all costs. I I do lots of smiling and high-fiving and trying to change the subject a lot. You know, that, that. You know, like, I don't want, if we can just, why can't we all just get along, right? I mean, <laughs> right? But here's the problem, guys, is in life there's going to be friction. You cannot have a sharp knife without friction. It takes friction to sharpen. Just like the Bible says, iron sharpens iron. You're going to have friction. You're going to have some opposition in this life. And so the thing is, is that I can't avoid it. Um, it doesn't mean that I have to, to 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 pull out the sword and go to war. But I do need to understand that in the world we live in, the house that we live in, the neighborhood that we live in, the job that we have, no matter what place in life, the only way that you may be able to avoid opposition is if you go into a cave hole and stay there all by your lonesome. But you know what? You will still have opposition. You'll still have conflict because the Lord will be like like what he did to Elijah. What are you doing here? Because remember, Elijah was like, I'm done. He quit his ministry, quit everything. He ran and crawled into the bottom of a hole, and the Lord's like, Elijah, what are you doing? He's like, I'm the only one, you know, pity city, feeling sorry for himself. So here's the thing. Even if you crawl into a hole, you're going to have some opposition and that's when you're going to have to deal with the Lord will be dealing with you. So I just want you to understand that in the world that we live in, you will have some opposition. You're going to have conflict. You're going to have friction. And what I want us to learn is how do we deal with it in a godly manner? Because I've spent enough time in my life doing it in an ungodly manner Right? Haven't we all? So, this is so. when I look at this, sheep in the midst of wolves, He's like, God is what He's saying is this, I'm sending you into the world, and you are a sheep, and you're going to be a sheep in the midst of wolves. So, no matter what happens in your life, you're supposed to be a sheep And just understand, as a sheep, you are set in a world full of wolves. A sheep is to be humble and lowly. A sheep is to have a message of compassion and love. The disciples were sent out to talk about a loving Savior who wanted to save them from their sins. But they were sent out, and there were wolves. And wolves are the opposite of the sheep. The wolves are violent, and they seek to devour. He says, uh, Therefore... Be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Huh. So, due to the disciples' vulnerable position, so just keeping context in mind, the Lord sent, the Lord Jesus sent them into these towns to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, that the kingdom of God is coming, um, that they needed to turn away from sin. How often do you guys like to be told that you're wrong? I mean, how many of you like, man, I can't wait for the pastor to tell me that I'm wrong? Anybody like, I can't wait to see what he's going to say about me today, right? Nobody like, we don't typically like signing up. How many of you um, husbands like it when your wife's telling you all the things that you're doing wrong? Does anybody sign up for that one? Liar. Okay, so wives, how many of you wives just can't wait to have your husband tell you with all the things that you, see, here's the problem is it? Is it when you walk into a town and you're preaching the kingdom of God, we're pre- preaching repentance, you got to deal with sin, right? So you got to talk about sin. you got to deal with the sin so nobody likes that part. So what we say is just do the good stuff. Talk about the good stuff. I don't want the, the other stuff. And so what happens is when you start talking about life and you start talking about struggle and you start talking about change, all of a sudden, guess what? opposition begins so why is serpent. serpents i always thought this is such an interesting why does he use serpent why is he using serpent because the only place that i can really think of a serpent is all the way back in genesis does any of you kind of think back about like why would jesus say the serpent because the last time i saw the word serpent was in genesis when he was talking about the devil whoo kind of weird right so he's not saying, I want you to be a serpent. He's saying, I want you to be wise. See, wisdom, the serpent in Genesis 3 was pretty cunning, pretty smart. Knew how to, well, he used it for bad, but he used his smarts to trick people into doing something bad. He's, he says, I don't want you to be the rogue. I don't want you to be the rebellious one. What I am wanting you to do is I'm wanting you to be wise. You're, in, you're, you're, you're being put into it. You're a sheep, and you're being surrounded by wolves, so you better use wisdom or you're going to get eaten. Okay? We need to be wise. We need to use understanding. And here's what's amazing about God's Word. When we're dealing with wisdom, um, in the book of James, chapter 1 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to those who ask. Maybe you're sitting here going, I don't have any wisdom. (laughs) Every time I open my mouth, I get in all kinds of trouble, so I don't know what I'm doing. Well, ask God. He'll show you what you're doing wrong. (laughs) He'll straighten you out. So, wise as serpents, you you are to be sensible, prudent. We are to be wise. We're we're not to to be gullible. We're not to, he's like, you got to be careful or you're going to get devoured. He says, harmless, so wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. Here's the deal you can be honest without being hurtful. See, he didn't say honest serpent because I would expect to get the honest bite. Have you ever, have you ever had that where the, the brutal honesty hurt really bad? Well, if I'm going to be harmless as a dove, I, I want to be honest, but I don't want to be naive. I want to be honest, but I want to be as gentle as a dove, but I want to be wise enough not to get my head stepped on. Have you noticed that snakes aren't, they're everywhere, but they're just not everywhere? Snakes are, are good about not getting stepped on and killed. Unless that you see them on the road and how many of you swerve out, you know. Well, you'll do, like so. So the thing is, is a, a snake survival. Like man, because of the devil, everyone hates me. I mean, have you ever thought about that poor little snake? Everybody hates me. The whole world. If you were the snake, you'd be like, everybody hates me. Like everybody. It's all the devil's fault. Everybody hates me. So I have to be very smart to not get my head stepped on. Have you noticed that they're really good at hiding? You know why they're hiding from you? Because they're tired of getting their head stepped on. Wasn't that the prophecy? You're going to strike the hill, but he's going to crush your head. The snake's like, thanks, devil. Now we're all hated. So here's the thing. We're to be wise as serpents to not get stepped on, but we're also to be harmless doves. See, the balance of prudence and purity enables us to survive in our relationships, and fulfill the mission of God that he has for us. And here's the thing is a lot of times ministers, for a great example, a lot of times their family gets the worst part of them. I know that my family gets often the worst, the worst version of me when I'm tired and I'm stressed. Uh, I, I know that, that when um, I have, sometimes that you, you feel the weight of everything's on you, and, and, and sometimes things go undone that shouldn't be undone and then they end up seeing that worst side of you. So, the thing is, is learning how to have that balance in our life, right? Learning the balance. And and so, that mission that I have, my first mission is to my wife and to my children. Living water came second. I was married and had children before I became the pastor of living water. So, I want to have prudence and purity in my life so that I can fulfill that first mission, which my first mission is in the home. The best disciples that I should, should make would be that of my wife and children. So, in the passage, we're going to get back to verse 17 now. So, in verse 17 Matthew 10, verse 17, he says, Be on your guard. I need to be on my guard. So here's the deal is he's he's telling them you're gonna be like sheep among the wolves. And sometimes you can feel like in the workplace. I, I know that I've heard lots of people talk about man, there's sometimes you go to work and you feel like there's just wolves all around you. You feel like you're being devoured by the boss or your the, the your your co-workers or or maybe you're the boss and, and the, the people who are working for you. But what, what happens is sometimes we feel like we're that sheep and we're surrounded by wolves he says be on your guard he says you need to to be alert you need to be aware because here's the remember you will face opposition it's impossible to not find opposition you're going to find conflict in relationships so it's going to happen so he says be on your guard you will be, not might, you will be handed over to local councils. You'll be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles But when they arrest you. So I, I stopped there. It's the starting of a new sentence, but I'm wanting you to see. Here's the thing. We're going to, to, to find opposition in our life. We live in a world right now That sin is celebrated, sin is is legalized, sin is everywhere. and, and, And so the thing is, is we live in a world where it's very difficult to follow the Lord as He would want us to follow Him. Isn't that true? And so, the more I follow the Lord, the more opposition I will have in my life. And here's what I love. He says, "You will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them." Here's the deal as a part of them being arrested, who is a part of God's plan to witness. In your marriage, you're a witness to your spouse. As a couple, you're a witness before your children. Wouldn't it be great if every married couple said, I want to set the example of what a good, healthy, godly relationship looks like, and I want my kids to learn that from me, right? I want them to learn from me what does, I want my daughters, because they're the, the, the oldest ones, the, the ones that I got to watch all these boys, and I want, I want my daughters to see in me what a godly husband they should look for. I really do. I really do. I I want my boys to look at their mom and say that's the kind of girl I want to find. I mean that's going to be really hard. You know, <laughs> good luck. Good luck. So the thing is is that w- what what we should be doing is every part of your life you're witnessing Whether you want to or not, you are a witness, your words witness, your actions witness, everything. A witness is this, one who testifies. Whatever you're doing, you're testifying to something. You're testifying whether you really believe in God or not by what you're saying and what you're doing. So if you walk home and you do not look like a Christian any other place but on Sunday, everyone around you knows that you're not a real Christian. Because you're only playing it on one day a week. When you are living it out, people are watching you. So here's the deal. You are a witness, period. It happens. It's a part of life. And how you handle the opposition in your life, how you handle conflict when it comes will determine what kind of witness you are. But you're a witness. I think a lot of times we, come to these places where we've kind of gotten used to <clears throat> trying to fool people around us, right? Where the witness part, I, I want people to think this about me. Why wouldn't it be this is just who I want to be? And, and, and even when I fall short on who I want to be, I'm not going to stop. I remember when I was in college, um, I've always thought having mentors in your life is very important. My first mentor I ever had was someone who didn't even know they were my mentor, my, my grandpa Dean. Um, I remember I was taking a class, and they were talking about making disciples of other people. And it was a discipleship course in college, and I remember him talking about, you know, there's all different kinds of mentors. Some people are people that you know are living the life, and you just want to be like them and how they live life, and I immediately, like, I, if I, I remember I was 19 years old, and I, I said to myself, I thought, if I could be half, listen to this, if I could be half the man my granddaddy is, I'll be a great man of God. I, in my mind, I was like, man, if I could just be half If I could just be half as good as a husband, half as good as a father, half as good as 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 his faith is, if I could just be half of that, I'll be doing great in this world. I mean, that's where I at nineteen because I was like, man, I got a long ways to go. So I'm not even going to look at like trying to be ninety percent of Grandpa. But I was, but see, my Grandpa was the witness. He was a witness and I knew right out of the gate, that's the one I want to be like. Parents, wouldn't it be great if your kids wanted to be like you? And not look away, Look for ways of not being like, well, I just don't want to be, I just don't want to turn out like my mom. I just don't want to turn out like my dad. I hope and pray that never comes. I hope that that's never, I hope that the life, they can see how much I love the Lord and how much I'm trying to be a man of God. I hope they can look and say, wow, I want to be like my dad. I want to, I want to, I want to be that kind of a, of a parent, that kind of a spouse. And though I'm not perfect, not even close. One of the things that I've learned a lot is is the power of apology. I've found that so many fathers, and especially men, so many men have such an issue with pride, they can't even apologize when they're wrong. And I have found that there is great freedom when I lose my temper or I say something that in my head sounded a lot better, going to my kids and my wife and saying, you know, I'm sorry I did not mean it that way or I'm sorry that that came out. That was not my best moment. See, I'm wanting you to understand that no matter your situation, you are a witness. You're a witness to whether God is moving in your life. You're a witness to your neighbors. You're a witness to your coworkers. You're a witness to your spouse. You're a witness to what a godly marriage should look like. You're a witness to what parenting should be like. We have too many parents wanting to be friends. And I hear myself all the time, I love you, I am not your friend. When you have kids and I'm a grandpa, I'll be a friend to them. All I'm trying to do is get you to that point. I'm not my kids' friend. I love them and I would die for them. But the reality is, my job that God gave those children to me and his expectation for me is to raise them unto him. You hear me? We are to raise our children unto the Lord, not to me, unto the Lord. And I have so many parents who want the church to raise their kids spiritually and we'll be their friends and everybody else make sure they're doing the right things. So let me go to the command here. In verse 19, but when they arrest you, so when you find yourself before the governors, when you find yourself in the synagogues, when you find yourself in the moment of opposition, when you find yourself, you're the sheep, and you feel you're surrounded by wolves. This is the thing. This happens in marriage. Have you ever felt like you were a sheep in the middle of a wolf? Wives, have you ever felt like your husband was a wolf? Raise your hand if you've ever felt Like he was a wolf ready to devour you. Put your hand down, honey. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Have, thank you. So, husbands, have you ever felt like you were the sheep and your wife was a wolf? Raise your hands. No, I'm just kidding. So, here's, here's the reality is that we get into these moments, right? We get into these moments. Where, where we feel like we're the sheep and we're surrounded by wolves or a wolf. But here's the thing is, is what I'm wanting you to understand is even though this, this story that we're reading about today is that they were being arrested for their faith and they're brought before these, these Sanhedrins, understand that when you and your spouse or you and a coworker, whatever the scenario is, guess what? People are still watching you. They're still watching you to see how you deal with your difficult neighbor. They're still watching how you deal with the teachers at school, the principal at school. They're still watching. You're a witness no matter what. And when you find yourself feeling like you're the sheep, the vulnerable one, and, and here's what he says. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it? See, we're coming back to this full circle of stop having the conversation, right? So here's what I want you to see. He says, "Do not worry." The word "worry" here is to be anxious or concerned. So if you've ever been in trouble, I remember um, as a child, um, I, I got spanked all the time. That's why I have a flat hiney. You know, has it's it's been whooped. It, it used to be, yeah, but it's it's flat. You know, I mean, be, belting. You know, I'll tell you what. Woo. So. I remember when I got in trouble, I would start thinking and worrying about what I needed to say. And I remember something that my dad said to me, and, and, I, and, and it's never left me. He says, Daniel, don't ever lie. He said, because the moment you lie, no one will ever believe what you say. He says, just tell the truth, no matter what the consequences. Just tell the truth. The truth. And then it got really, really easy. So you know what the principal figured out real quick is that I wasn't a liar. So he was like, Daniel, what happened? Well, here's what happened. He did this, he did this, I did that. It was really funny, right? And so I'm like, like, whatever you do, don't do anything where Daniel can see it, because they're just gonna go straight to him and he's gonna tell the truth. And it got a lot easier because then I didn't have to think about what I needed to say or how to say i just like, you know what, here's what happened. See, what, what the Lord's wanting us to understand is that we can't, we gotta stop having the conversation and trying to think about what we're, he says, quit being anxious and concerned about what you're gonna say or how you're gonna say it. So if we can play red light, green light, you guys know how to play that, right? Red is stop, right? So here's, 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 here's red light. Stop talking in your head. <laughs> There's this great counselor. I mean, a, a fantastic counselor. He was on Saturday Night Live a long time ago. And, and so he, says, he said, my, my sessions are $5, $1 a minute five dollars and we have five minutes and so the, the lady walks in and he says so uh, we'll set the timer we're only going to be here five minutes and she says well this is you know kind of unorthodox and and so uh, she says well you know I have this this fear of being buried alive in a box and he goes have you ever been buried alive in a box well no have, has anybody ever threatened to bury you alive in a box well well no and he goes do you like the feelings of being afraid of being buried alive in a box and she goes, well no and he goes Okay, so i got two words that will change your life. She's, do I need to write them down? He goes, well, I think most people can remember two words. Stop it. He goes, well, that's, huh, that's two minutes. i will be $2. She goes, well, I have other stuff. We've well, we got three minutes left. Go ahead. She goes, well, I keep getting into these bad relationships, these unhealthy relations. He goes, well, do you want to be in bad, unhealthy relationships? She goes, no. And he goes, well, stop it. Well, she goes, I don't like this kind of counseling. You stop it. And he goes, all right, I got nine words for you, and you might want to write these down. Stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box. (laughs) So I was like, so I'm like, you know, so here's here's the thing is that if something's not working for us, why do we keep doing it? So here's the deal. Stop talking in your head. Because what, why, why are we talking in our head? The real reason, the easy thing to understand is this. The reason why I'm talking in my head, the reason why I'm having a conversation I'm not having is because I'm anxious about the conversation. Because I'm worried about how it's going to go, so I'm being anxious about it. All you're doing is going to make it worse. Stop having that conversation you're not having. All right. All right. Then he goes on in the the rest of that verse, and at that time, everybody say at that time. At that time means at the time, okay? When you need the words, at that time, when the conversation comes. So stop having the conversation you're not having and wait for the conversation you're going to have. At that time, the time of the real conversation, at that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. That does not mean, listen to me, husbands, very clearly. That does not mean you just start quoting Scripture to your wife. And wives, take the same advice. That doesn't mean that you just say, well, the Bible says. Because what that and then then trying to say that that's from the Lord, because here's the thing is he's saying, one, I want you to stop having the conversation because, because what we need to do is if I stop having the conversation, I need to start listening to the spirit, you see, this is where it all changes. If you would stop wasting your time being anxious about a conversation that you haven't even had yet and you spent that time listening to God about where your heart is and what you need to work on and what you need to deal with, then maybe that conversation would go a little better. Huh? How many times... See, we spent all of the time that we should have been in prayer having a conversation we're not having, haven't we? Come on, don't be lying in church, right? Don't we spend a lot of time having that conversation and we don't spend any time praying to God, God, what do I do? How do I deal with this coworker? God, it seems impossible. I can't say anything or, or, or whatever the scenario may be. But you're pleading up to God, God, I'm in opposition. I feel like a sheep being devoured by a wolf. God, what do I do? He's going to say, stop having the conversation you're not having, and I need you to start listening so I can deal with you. See, what I need God to do is I need God to deal with my stupid heart before I have a conversation with somebody else. I'm not even going to say that they have a stupid heart because I'm not God and I don't know. You see, we spend so much time trying to fix everyone else when we're not saying, God, what's wrong with me? God, deal with me. Show me where I'm falling short in this thing. Then I can maybe have something to offer in that relationship. But here's the thing. Do you want to know why many of us don't spend the time praying to God before we have that conversation that we got to have do you want to how many of you want to know why (laughs) i'm going to tell you why we don't want to praise because we don't want to hear what he's going to tell us to say (laughs) we don't ask god because we don't really want to know because you know what he's going to say get over yourself you know what he's going to say forgive hey here's here's an idea he's going to say stop it (laughs) you know, stop it Stop being childish. Stop 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 making a big deal out of everything. Hey, he's gonna say, you need to forgive, you need to move on, you need to, and so God's gonna start. So the thing is, God, I don't want to know what you you want me to do because I want to continue to do what I want to do. And that's usually causing destruction. This will change your life. This will change your marriage. This will change your relationship with your boss and your co-workers and your neighbor and and, and people at school. Stop looking for a way to fight them and start listening to God on how to diffuse the situation. I told you guys last week that I have a problem of wanting to be right. So, I didn't want to always hear what God had to say because he's going to show me where I'm wrong in the situation and I'm like, I'm maybe wrong, but I'm not more wrong. (laughs) Come on, you're laughing because you do the same thing. I may be wrong, but you're more wrong. I mean, we're like a bunch of kids, aren't we? In In our adult relationships, we still act like a lot of kids. You ever think about what your kids think of you? Like, oh my goodness, you're like a little kid pouting in a little candy store Dad, can we have some candy? All right, so, all right, all right, all right. So here's, here, let's, let's, we're, hey, here's the good news. Last slide. Right? All right, so here's the thing. I'm going to tell you the application is, is, is simple. It, it may be hard to do, but, but I, I'm going to give you the ABCs to, to dealing with these conversations. One, assume Nothing. Guys, half of your guys' fights and arguments are because you're assuming the other person's heart. You're assuming their motivations. You're assuming their intentions. You're assuming a lot of stuff. You're assuming that what the other person heard somebody else say that somebody else said is actually factual. I mean, think about how many arguments you find yourself in, and you've assumed so much of the detail you're ready to go to war over. Come on, right? Assume nothing. If you have to assume something, then just consider yourself wrong already. The moment you begin to assume what you are doing is playing God, and you're putting in what you are assuming is truth. I'm not God. I don't get to do that. It's hard, isn't it? How many times we assume things of other people, right? You guys are super quiet now. My kids, we always have this little ongoing joke when we, when we start getting quiet and we know that there's somebody that's wrong. we we, we like, well, I guess I'll see you at the altar Sunday. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll all be up here in a little bit. Assume nothing. The, guys, we got to stop assuming. We have to stop assuming That we know something that we don't actually know is truth. I remember a great sermon I heard a while back. How do I know when I can talk about somebody else when they're not there? (laughs) Like That was a good sermon. And I remember the first thing that he says is, do I know it's 100% true? Just because my mom comes to me and says, hey, did you know, doesn't mean that she actually knows either. So do I know it's 100, 100? Did you know that rat poison is 99.9% good healthy food? It's .01% poison and still kills the rat. A lie can be 99% true and still turn out to be a lie. Assume nothing. Secondly, believe the best in others. Why are we so quick to think that the other person that we're frustrated with is such a bad person? Why do we struggle so much with believing the best in others? True, right? Are are we... I mean, your silence is is speaking a lot. I'm just saying, right? We're like, wow. I mean, because here's the thing is, It's really hard to get into a a heated argument if I take all my assumptions off of the table and I believe the best in the other person. Think about how many fights you could go back in a race. Deleted. I mean, how many of those fights could we delete in our, in our homes, in our, bo- in our businesses, and wherever, if we just took out all of our assumptions out of the equation and we believe the best in the other person. Woo, come on. All right, well, there's only a few of you that are excited about this. All right, last one, ABCs. I said it's as easy as ABC, choose not to be offended. Choose not to be offended. Why do I have to be offended every time somebody offends me? I mean, why do we make like it's like the hills that we're going to die on is some of the dumbest hills to die on. And it's just because I choose to allow myself to be offended. Well, guess what? It's always you know, I always find it hilarious is when somebody says, "Don't be offended, but" every time you hear that the next words offensive. Yeah, like, thanks for the preparation. You know, like, don't be offended. Okay, okay, hold on, don't, don't say anything yet. Let me, let, me, let me get myself prepared not to be offended because I know you're going to be offend me. Here's the thing is, why do we make such a big deal out of everything? We live in a world that is so easily offended. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, it's impossible that this world does not offer offense. It's impossible that you're not... You don't have the op it's what you do when the offense is brought. See, see, the thing is, is this you always you always have the choice. You always have a choice. You always have a choice. You can choose not to be offended. You can choose not to assume, you can choose to believe the best in others. You always have a choice. And sometimes someone has to be the Christian. I mean, this stuff is just kind of straightforward biblical stuff of what God wants us to be. He doesn't want us to be offended. He doesn't want us to make assumptions. He wants us to believe the best in others. He wants us to not just be so easily offended. Uh, There's a great book, if you struggle with being offended, there's a great book called The Bait of Satan. Yep, you read it. So... The bait of Satan says that the greatest tool the devil has is getting people to be offended. Because the moment you get offended, it's like a trap that holds you in a cage. How many times has somebody said something they probably didn't even mean to offend you, but you took that offense and ran with it, and then had a conversation with that person that offended you, had all this kind of a conversation and then you were mad for months and then finally you bumped in and they're like, I didn't have any idea, I'm sorry. And then you're like, man, I just pouted for like three months? How easy that would have been if I just would have said you hurt my feelings and most of the time they would say, I'm sorry. Maybe instead of having all of the imaginary conversations, we just stopped, prayed, stopped having those talks, started praying, and then actually had the conversations where we assumed nothing, believed the best, and chose not to be offended. I wonder how many relationships in your life will be reconciled if you were to do that this week. So I want you to bow your head and I want you to close your eyes for a few moments here something that I want you to to think about. I really think that there's a powerful thing in our life where we can ask the Holy Spirit to show us things. We can ask the the Holy Spirit to help work on us. And, And what I want you to pray about today, I want you to ask God if there is some Some people in your life that maybe you've chosen to be offended by. Maybe you don't even know who they are, but by their behavior or by their persona or by their affiliation with something, maybe you've taken offense and never even had a conversation with someone. Maybe you've been assuming some things about people without ever having a conversation to see if any of those assumptions are even true. Maybe you look at somebody and you just choose not to believe the best in them. What I would like you to do is just ask the Lord to reveal to you right this very moment God, is there anyone like that in my life? Is there anybody in my life that I've been making all kinds of assumptions about or that I've refused to believe the best in them? Maybe I've just allowed myself to be offended by so many things in their life, but right now, if God is bringing that person to your name, their name to your mind, Maybe that's an opportunity for you to let that go today. Maybe you can forgive them and maybe you can even ask the Lord to forgive you for your hastiness of being in a a situation where you weren't listening to Him. And you're having all these conversations in your mind and in your heart. Maybe there's some people that right now God would bring to your, your heart and your mind that you need to go and reconcile. What good is a message if I don't do anything with it? If I don't apply it, it does nothing for me. But if I would take these truths and apply it to my life, it will change my home, it will change my neighborhood. It'll change my work environments. It will change my kids. It will change my children's children. All because I humbled myself. I said, God, I'm going to stop worrying about all these things of what could happen and what could be said. And God, I just want to hear from you. I want to hear from heaven to what you would have me do. So The altar is open. Maybe you need to lay someone down. Maybe you've had some hard hearts. And maybe you need to lay that sucker down and just give it to God. Maybe the Lord is right now laying on your heart that there is a relationship you need to reconcile because you didn't follow some of these things. And maybe you need to say, God, help me. And maybe you need to right now come and pray for the person that God has laid on your heart, that they would receive the words from you. Asking God to go before you in the relationship that you need to reconcile.